All right, if you have your Bibles, turn to Matthew chapter 6. Uh, for Mother's Death, I thought we'd look at the Lord's Prayer. Uh, and that's a, so as we've been, as we've been going through here, we're looking at this fifth thing that God tells us in the Lord's Prayer to ask Him for. We're looking at our Father, forgive us our debts. What that means, He tells His, when, later in, in Luke, He tells His disciples to pray, Father, forgive us our sins. And so we're, we're trying to look at what does that mean? What is forgiveness? What is, what is this asking for. And so we've been looking at how the Bible describes forgiveness and how the Bible describes our debts. So we looked at debt, what our debt was, what all we owed God and, and, and that, that unbearable, inescapable debt that came from our sins. So that is forgiven. Well, what is forgiveness? We saw how forgiveness in both the Old Testament Hebrew, the New Testament Greek, and even in the English by God's sovereignty, they all mean to take away. They all mean to take something away. And in the case of our, uh, of this, to take away, bear away, lift up, get rid of our debt, our debt from, uh, from sin, the debt of our sins. Uh, but now we're looking at that as the Bible describes forgiveness, it doesn't just tell us, you know, what forgiveness is. It also tells us of the things that happen when we're forgiven. So that when we're forgiven, yes, our, our, our sins, God takes away our sin, but there are other blessings that the Bible says are attached to that action of our sins being lifted away. So when our sins are taken away, when they are forgiven, when they are lifted up, when they're born away, we saw other blessings that the Bible says are attached to that. Last week, we looked at God says, your forgiveness does something to your sin. So one of the blessings is, then just take your sin away. It also does something to it. And we saw that it, it, it pay, our debt is paid in forgiveness. And in forgiveness, the debt that you and I owed is paid so that God is both just and justifier. Uh, we saw that not only is our sin paid, but when our sins are taken away, uh, our sin is destroyed. And man, what a great passage we looked at last week where God describes the crushing of our iniquities and then throwing it, the, the limp dead body of our iniquities into the sea. Just a wonderful picture of what God does to our sin in, the Bible says, all of those are mentioned in the process of forgiveness. Of course, God does, does all those things, but specifically with the they were mentioned, this is what God does when he forgives you. So when he bears your sins away, when he takes your sins away, this is what happens. But that's not all. That's not all that the Bible says happens in forgiveness. That's not the only effect. That's not the, those aren't the only blessings that come that God says, these are blessings that happen to you when you're forgiven. So you should want your sins to be given, to be forgiven because of the debt that you've got, but you should also want forgiveness and recognize that when forgiveness comes, it brings with us, it brings with it great blessing to us. So we saw what it did to our sin. Our debt is paid. Uh, our sin is destroyed. Uh, this week, we're going to see that God not only does something to our sin, but that in forgiveness, God does something to us. God changes us in forgiving us. This forgiveness is going to bear fruit, not just for our sin. It's going to bear fruit in our lives as well through Forgiveness. We're going to see exactly uh, how, what he says it does uh, in just a second. But let's stand in the honor of reading God's word. 
Uh, let's read verses 9 through 13. Let's read the Lord's Prayer again, uh, and then we'll uh, look at what forgiveness does to us. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Let's pray. Father, we ask for your blessing today. We come here today to worship you. We come here today because we have been forgiven And we are here today because of what forgiveness is doing in us and to us. So, Father, I pray we would worship you. I pray we would glorify you today. I pray today would be all about you, all about what you've done, about the people you've brought into our lives to help us live for your glory. That, Father, we would be an encouragement to one another as we have uh, declared to one another your word, as we've sung to one another, as we've exhorted one another through the singing of psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, that, that, Father, we would... Uh, just be ready to worship now in obedience to your word, that you would bless us today, Father, by taking us who are often, we confess, too lazy with your word, uh, that you would take that word and bear fruit in our lives. What a blessing, Father. We pray that it might be so. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. All right, so, so we saw what forgiveness does to our sin. What does forgiveness do to us? Okay, what does the Bible say happens to us in being or by being forgiven? What does it do to, to you and me? What are the blessings that come with forgiveness? And the first one is going to seem very obvious. And you're going to go, well, this is like cookie cutter, first grade level theology here. But it's something that the Bible says happens in our forgiveness. The first thing that happens in forgiving us or happens to us as a result of our forgiveness is salvation. Okay. So the first thing that happens through forgiveness is our salvation. Look at this in Luke chapter 1. Verses 77 to 79. In forgiveness, in being forgiven, we find salvation. Good says, and you, child, just talking about the, this is the prophecy about John the Baptist. You, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High. For you will go before the Lord to prepare his way, to give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. So it, so you go back there, you look at verse 77, you're going to give the knowledge of salvation that's going to come how? In the forgiveness, the taking away, the bearing away of our sins. This salvation is going to come as your sins are borne away. How are we going to be saved? Well, your sins, the debt that you owed, is going to be taken away. It's going to be carried away. And this makes perfect sense. If you and I Uh, If we remember what we saw about our debt, if we're being crushed by this debt, as the Bible described us being crushed, faces, remember, pressed down to the ground. If that's what's happening under the weight of our debt, if we are, you know, we looked at that debt, if we, if that debt is a a debt that causes us to die, if it's a a deadly, disqualifying debt where we have no chance of being in God's presence, we're already spiritually dead. Well, all of that dead is gone, is taken away in forgiveness. 
That debt that we owe, that inescapable, uh, unbearable debt is lifted off of us. So if that debt is killing us, has killed us, then it just makes sense that if that debt is taken away, if we are forgiven that debt, then we would be saved. Imagine it in real life. Imagine you were in a situation where something was crushing you, was sitting on top of you, pushing your face into the ground, uh, if you'd have seen me and Jolt doing jujitsu, it'd be like, a, Jolt, imagine when I was jujitsuing you and your face was, I'm just kidding. Uh, so imagine, imagine something's pressing you into the ground. You can't breathe. If someone were to come and lift that off of you, what would you say? You would probably just go, you know, do the proverbial, you know, that we all do when it happens. Like, oh, thank you. I was going to die. That's exactly what the Lord does in forgiveness. So you imagine Luke 1, you're sitting, people are sitting in what? They're sitting in darkness. They're sitting in the shadow of death. So what has to happen? That deadly debt, that crushing debt is taken away. And when it is lifted up, when it is borne away, we find salvation. There is that breath of that that weight being lifted, uh, lifted off of us, which means we're saved from what we owed. We're saved from that. We're saved from what was coming. Instead of, instead of death, uh, because of forgiveness, we find life. Uh, in, instead of being disqualified from the presence of God, through forgiveness, we find what? God now dwells within us. Instead of darkness, we find light. All of those things are true because that debt that would have brought death, that would have disqualified us, that was darkness, that is lifted away and we find salvation, which is then all of those things, light and life, the presence of God. So when we pray, Father, forgive us our sins, one of the things we've got to recognize in forgiveness, that it's in forgiveness that you and I have found salvation. It is because we've been forgiven that we are not daily crushed by the weight and reality of our sin. So when we say, Father, forgive us our sins, we've got to remember in your forgiveness, Father, is where I found salvation. So, Father, forgive me, uh, forgive us our sins. So one, one aspect of, of forgiveness, one of the blessings that the Bible says comes in forgiveness is your salvation. The second one is like unto it. Uh, not only do we find salvation in forgiveness, you and I are made alive. We are made alive through the forgiveness of sins. We know that the Bible says that we were dead in our sins. This is Ephesians chapter two, uh, verse one and the first part of verse two, which says you were dead in trespasses and sins in which you once walked. So we know that we're dead in our sins. We know that, uh, the result of that was that our hearts were dead dead to the things of God. We didn't care about the things of God. Uh, We weren't seeking after God. So Romans 3 lays it out very clearly, verses 10 through 12, when it says, none is righteous, no, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they've become worthless. No one does good, not even one. So that is sort of our state. We are dead in our sins. Our our hearts are dead, so they don't even care about the things of God. It's not like we're dead people who are trying to crawl toward God. We're dead people who even if we could crawl, but we can't because we're dead, even if we could crawl, would crawl away from God. Uh, And so what has to happen is you and I have to be given a new heart. 
That's how Ezekiel describes it. Ezekiel chapter 36, verses 25 and 26. Look at what it says. I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean from all your uncleanness and from all your idols I will cleanse you and I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. So, so we're dead. Our hearts were dead. They, they, they were stony. Ezekiel says a stony to the things of God. What we need is new hearts. We need new life. We need to be made alive. Well, how does that happen? How are we made alive? Look what Paul says in Colossians. Colossians chapter 2. Down in verse 13, and you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses. So we are dead. We were dead because of our sin. We were also dead because we weren't Jews. And that's a thing that people miss a lot of times as well here. We get the first part and we go, we were dead in, of course we were dead in our trespasses. We're also dead in the uncircumcision of our flesh. The fact that we weren't Jews was also a pretty scary reality as well. But what happened? But God, what? Made us alive in Christ. Made us alive with Christ. And how? How does Paul say he made us alive with Christ by forgiving us all our trespasses? Our forgiveness has made us alive. Our forgiveness is what has brought the changed heart, the new heart, the heart of stone to heart of flesh. So the Bible says we need to be made alive. Well, then how are we made alive? Paul says you were made alive by the forgiveness of our sins or when God forgave us all our trespasses. So when we pray, this is another aspect of the the blessing that comes in forgiveness. When we pray, Father, forgive us our sins, we're remembering that in that forgiveness, we are made alive. That the, the, the fact that our hearts are alive, that they care about the things of God, the fact that we're even asking for forgiveness only comes because we have been made alive with Christ by the forgiveness of all our trespasses. It is that forgiveness that we're asking for. This is what gives us great confidence that we will be forgiven because it was only because we have been forgiven that we even ask, that we even confess, that we even yearn to be godly because otherwise our hearts would just be hearts of stone. Our hearts wouldn't care for those things. So we've got salvation. We've got being made alive. But even those things, it's going to sound crazy, but even those things aren't all. That's not all. That's not, which almost sounds like, you know, like one of those salesmen, uh, like an infomercial. But there's more. Uh, there's more that the Bible says happens in forgiveness. Uh, it, it, again, that might sound crazy, but forgiveness is actually, when you're reading about forgiveness in the scripture, it is replete with blessing. For example, one we often don't think about with forgiveness, because we might think salvation, we might think being made alive, those make sense. But think, let's look at how this forgiveness is also going to create this ongoing relationship with the Lord and some of the things you're praying for even, uh, even now. The next thing is in forgiveness, we know the Lord. We get a knowledge of the Lord in the forgiveness of our sins. To see this, turn to Jeremiah 31. 
Jeremiah 31, famous passage on what God is going to do in this new covenant, what he's doing uh, in our hearts as he's writing his law on our hearts. Go down to verse 33. He says, for this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. This is the covenant I'll make. I will put my law within them and I will write it on their hearts and I will be their God and they shall be my people. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother saying, know the Lord, know the Lord, for they shall all know me from the least of them to the greatest declares the Lord. Why? For I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sin no more. So he says, no longer, no longer people are going to have to go around saying, know the Lord. Hey, you need to know Yahweh. And why will people not have to say that anymore? He says, because every one of them is already going to know me. They're already going to know me from the least of them to the greatest of them. Every believer, the Bible says, every believer knows the Lord. Well, how? How is it that you and I know the Lord? Where does that knowledge of the Lord come from? The Bible tells us. It's because we've been forgiven. He says, no longer will they have to say, know me, because from the least of them to the greatest, they'll know me, declares the Lord. Why? For I will forgive. I will take away their iniquity. And I will remember their sin no more. So we see here in forgiveness, we begin to know the Lord. Well, what does it mean to know the Lord? I mean, it's such a, such a great, great promise. What's so amazing? He says, hey, I'm going to give you this new covenant and I've got great news. People are going to know the Lord. Well, we, we know that when the Bible talks about knowing the Lord, that it means more than just being aware of God. Uh, it, it implies an intimate relationship with someone. That's why, you know, you go back Genesis, uh, all the way Genesis chapter 4, uh, when Adam knew Eve, right? And, and she conceived and bore a son. It's not like up until that point, he was not aware that Eve existed. Uh, and when he went, hey, there's an Eve, she was like, hey, I'm pregnant. Uh, there's an intimate relationship between the two of them that is, that is carried in the word to know him. He knew Eve. And we know, we know already that it can't just be a bare knowledge of God because the Bible tells us that everyone in the world already knows there's a God. And they already know, even not just that there's a God, they know quite a bit about him. Even knowing God's laws, uh, even knowing just punishment for God's laws. Romans chapter 1 teaches us that God teaches everyone all those things. He teaches them that they exist and teaches them his law, writes his law on them, teaches some of his invisible attributes and teaches them the just punishments for those laws. So it can't just be that, you know, in forgiveness, we all of a sudden become aware that there's a God. It's not talking about that. But there is a knowledge of God There is a heart knowledge, an intimate knowledge of the Lord to know God. That same level of intimacy as it talked about when it said that Adam knew Eve, to to have that heart sort of knowledge that can come only from him. It can come only from him. So, for example, Matthew chapter 13, verse 11, Jesus talks about this. He says, he answered them to you. It has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven. 
but to them it has not been given. So, so here we see already that some knowledge has to be given. They've got to be given the knowledge of the, the secrets of the kingdom. John chapter 6, verse 45, Jesus says, It's written in the prophets, and they will all be taught by God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. So in order to come to Christ, we've got to be taught by God. So when God promises that forgiveness brings knowledge, He's not just talking about intellectual. He's not just talking about, oh, there's a God. He's talking about this heart knowledge. And we see this already from, from Jeremiah. If you look back at Jeremiah 31, what did it say back there? I will write it on their hearts and they will know me. Well, if you look back in Jeremiah 24, he's already talked about this. Jeremiah 24, verse 7. He says, I will give them a heart to know that I am the Lord. And they shall be my people and I will be there. That sounds very similar to Jeremiah 31. For they shall return to me with their whole heart. So God is going to give them. So in Jeremiah 31, he says, they're all going to know me. Well, how are they going to know you? Go back to Jeremiah 24. He's already told us. So he's going to know them because I will forgive their iniquities. Well, he tells us in 24, that's going to be tied to him doing what? Giving them a new heart, which is what we already saw in Colossians. God does by forgiving us our iniquities. This is showing that this idea of God forgiving and that giving us a new heart and that new heart causing us to know the Lord has been part of Bible arithmetic for a thousand years. By this time, three thousand years. So, So this heart knowledge of God that we get, so in forgiveness, our knowledge of the Lord grows. This sort of heart knowledge, this intimate knowledge... You are the one true God. I am your people. Like Jeremiah said, God gives it to his people. In forgiveness, God gives us that knowledge of him. So for example, 1 John chapter 2, verse 20 says, But you've been anointed by the Holy One, and you all have knowledge. This knowledge is what God is is not just going to give to his people. This knowing the Lord is part of the advancement of the gospel. Like when, when we're like, well, what is, what is God doing in the gospel? What is he doing as his kingdom advances? Well, one of the things that happens and is happening is God is making people to know him. Not just know about him. He's already done that, Romans chapter 1 says. But making people to know him as God, as the one true God, and he as their people. So, for example, Isaiah chapter 11, verse 9 says what? They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain, for the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as waters cover the sea. Habakkuk 2.14, for the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as water covers the sea. Forgiveness gives us this knowledge of the Lord. And this knowledge of God is impossible without forgiveness. If you know the Lord... If you, truly, if you can look and say, I know that he is the one true God and I know that I am his people. When you're thinking about that and you say, not only do I know about the Lord, I know the Lord. Recognize that that knowledge of the Lord has come to you through the forgiveness of your sins. When we pray, Father, forgive us our debts, we're praying for the very forgiveness that will grow our knowledge of him. We're asking for the thing that will help us to know him more. You want to know God more? You want to know God more intimately? Say, I, I, want, to, I want to know God. Right? Well, you could read J.I. Packer's book. But if you wanted to know more, you know, what could you do? You wanted to know the Lord, truly know the Lord? Then pray. 
Father, forgive me. Because the Bible says in forgiveness, we find knowledge of God. A knowledge that will fill our minds. And a knowledge that the Bible says motivates our hearts. You want to know God more? Pray, Father, forgive me. Because in that forgiveness, we find knowledge of God. So what blessings do we see in forgiveness? We see that it saves us. We see that it makes us alive. We see that it helps us know the Lord. But it doesn't just do that. Forgiveness also leads to a fear of the Lord. Forgiveness, the Bible says, leads to a fear of the Lord. Now, what is the fear of the Lord? There have been books written on what is the fear of the Lord. Well, first thing we've got to establish is we know that the fear of the Lord is a good thing. Okay? Because normally if we were to say, hey, I've got good news, I'm going to make you afraid of God. Uh, you'd be like, I don't want that. Uh, that doesn't sound, I've got, I don't, I mean, I want to be forgiven, but I don't want to be afraid. Uh, but the Bible tells us that the fear of the Lord is a good thing. So, for example, uh, we'll just throw out a few of them, just from the book of Proverbs. It's just from the book of Proverbs, which is good because this means young men are really supposed to fear the Lord. Uh, Proverbs 1-7, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Proverbs 8-13, the fear of the Lord is hatred of evil. Proverbs 9-10, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, which I always wonder, why'd that one get like first billing? Like when we say, what is it? They're like, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. I'm like, that's the third one mentioned in Proverbs. Why is it always the one that we know? Uh, Proverbs 10-27, the fear of the Lord prolongs life. Proverbs 14-27, the fear of the Lord is a fountain of life. Proverbs 16-6, by the fear of the Lord, one turns away from evil. Proverbs 19, 23, the fear of the Lord leads to life and whoever has it rests satisfied. He will not be visited by harm. So you see all these things. It's no wonder that Proverbs also does. The Bible tells us that this fear of the Lord, if it does all those things, is obviously a great treasure. So Proverbs 15, 16, better is a little with the fear of the Lord than great treasure and trouble with it. So the fear of the Lord is obviously this. If it's all these things, this is obviously a good thing. So we know the fear of the Lord is good, but what is it? What is the fear of the Lord? Well, when we read about the fear of the Lord, it's not, I'd love to be able to say, now this is a special word for fear in the Hebrew that means real. It's not, nothing special about it. It's the same word used to describe Moses being afraid that the Egyptians are going to find out that he murdered that guy. Uh, it's the word describing the fear of the Israelites when they go into the dark, scary wilderness. They're just afraid. So there's nothing special about that particular uh, word. But fearing the Lord in the Bible is more than being simply scared of God. The fear of the Lord is a starting point to a right relationship. If you wanted to describe fear, a simple definition would be to, to fear the Lord is to see God as God, to really grasp and recognize God as God and what that means. God as capital G and then capital O and capital D too, just all of them caps, uh, that God is God, to recognize that. It is, it is, it results in this fearful devotion to the Lord. It is a, it is a reverent fear. It's a recognition that He is, in many ways, that He is holy, that He is so much other, bigger, better, magnificent. It's the same thing. It's what happened to Isaiah when he goes into the throne room of the Lord, recognizes that God is holy, and he's like, yep, I'm gonna die. 
Uh, but as I die, I'm going to praise God because I deserve what's about to happen to me uh, because he is holy and amazing. So it's that reverence that is this fear of the Lord. It's that reverent fear, that humbling fear, uh, uh, almost like a worshipful fear of the Lord. Well, we saw, we saw how forgiveness will cause us to know the Lord, but forgiveness is also, the Bible says, what causes us to fear the Lord. So the fear of the Lord is all those great things. Well, then how do I get it? How do I get that fear of the Lord? Do you just contemplate God is God? Do we just sit around and think, well, I want to think less of myself and more of God. And you do that, eventually you'll fear the Lord. It might certainly work, but the Bible says there's one key to fearing the Lord. If you want to know how to fear the Lord, the Bible tells us in Psalm 130 verses 3 and 4. If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness that you may be feared. And so that's a really interesting passage there. Because when you're looking at, yes, yes, if you and I still carried our debt, there's no way that we'd be able to stand. That debt is, that is, that debt is unbearable. We, we've looked at that. We've talked about that. But all of that changes in forgiveness, right? All of that changes in forgiveness. When that burden is lifted away, when that burden is taken away, what is the result of that forgiveness? Well, here the psalmist in Psalm 130 says what? The result of our forgiveness is a fear of the Lord. And again, this is is one of those references. If you don't understand the fear of the Lord, it doesn't make any sense. I forgave you so that you might be afraid of me. Uh, and we're going, well, I, I mean, I, because when you look at it, 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 it's forgiveness. It's forgiveness here that brings the fear of the Lord. When, when you, without forgiveness, that's when we should fear God, right? If we didn't have forgiveness, if we recognized what was going to happen when we died, that's when we, when we feared him. But when we understand how the fear of the Lord is described in the Bible, then we see, when we see all that the fear of the Lord is, and we see that it's this great treasure, and it's better to have it and nothing than it is to have this great treasure and trouble with it. If we see that fear of the Lord, and we want that. We want that fear of the Lord that brings knowledge. We want that fear of the Lord that brings wisdom. We want that fear of the Lord that makes us, you know, hate evil. We want that fear of the Lord that is a fountain of life. We want that fear of the Lord that is all those things. Where does that come from? The Bible says what? Here. He says, but with you there is forgiveness that you might be feared. I mean, we, when you think about it, and the crazy idea is that without forgiveness, we have every reason to fear the Lord. But now with forgiveness, we have the ability to fear him as we should truly fear him. We're able to see God as God. I mean, in many ways, we are here today in the fear of the Lord. We're not here today because we're afraid of what God might do if we weren't. We're not just here today because if I were still asleep, that would mean that bad things would happen to me. That's not the the only reason that we're here. I mean, listen, if you neglected worship, there might be bad things that happen to you. But that's not what drives us here to worship. We're here today out of this fearful devotion. We're here in reverence and awe. We are here today to say, God, you are God. And we are your people. And there's no one like you. We are not like, we are not here today. We're not singing songs for us. We're not singing songs to us. We're not hearing this message, a message for us and about us. It's a message to help you, us understand more who you are and how we're supposed to be as your people. It's all of this is you centered, not us centered. 
It's all about you because we are not God and you are. And if you're real and you're truly God, as you describe yourself, then Father, I am here in reverence and awe because there is nothing else in all of creation that is like you. And I will come and I will worship you with the people you have brought together uh, with me to worship you, the body that you've created. We will gather together on this Lord's day, every day, as long as we're alive, and we will declare your glory because we fear you. And why do we fear you? Because we've been forgiven. Because we've been forgiven. Because in that forgiveness, there comes the fear of the Lord. It's really interesting. If you put these passages together here, if the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, so the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Well, in the beginning of the fear of the Lord is forgiveness. Um, so when we pray, Father, forgive us our debts, remember that, that in that forgiveness is going to be birthed this most natural and yet uh, noble of desires, which is to see God as God, a fear of the Lord. God, help me see you as God and for me to see me as your people. That comes in forgiveness. You want to fear the Lord more? Understand your forgiveness better. You want to fear the Lord? You want to see God more as God? You want all those things that Proverbs talked about comes in the fear of the Lord? Well, the source to understanding the fear of God is to understand the forgiveness of your sins. So when we're praying, Father, forgive us, see that great seed that's planted in understanding uh, our forgiveness. So we've got forgiveness is going to bring salvation. It's going to make us alive. It's going to give us a, uh, cause us to know the Lord. It's going to give us a fear of the Lord. Uh, but, but even that's not it. We still got uh, one more thing that, that is going to happen in forgiveness that the Bible says, this is what happens because you've been forgiven or in forgiveness. Uh, and this last one is holiness, that it holifies us, that, that forgiveness causes us to be more Holy. You are, you, now, you already know my preference uh, for the word holify over the word sanctify. I already try to change your vocabularies. It's subtle, but it'll happen. Uh, and we see that forgiveness is, results in our holification. Our, our Christian growth, whereby we holy ones are made more holy. Uh, well, where do we see? Where do we see that forgiveness leads to holification? Look at Jeremiah chapter 50. Jeremiah chapter 50, verse 20. In those days and in that time, declares the Lord, iniquity shall be sought in Israel and there shall be none and sin in Judah and none shall be found. For what? For I will pardon. The same word is forgive. For I will forgive. You can translate it the exact same way. ESV decided to use pardon. For I will pardon those whom I leave as a remnant. So Jeremiah says, you're going to look around. You're going to look around Israel. You're going to look around Judah. And you're going to find no sin. And why are you not going to find sin? Because I have forgiven them. Calvin is going to say, uh, you know, when, when the disease is removed, the symptoms also which accompany the disease disappear. What's happening is forgiveness, forgiveness breeds holiness. 
It spurs holiness. The person who has been forgiven will respond with holy living. Because in this picture, this isn't just, this isn't just some sort of the- theoretical picture of Israel. You're going to go to Israel and you're going to look for sin, but you're not going to find it because theoretically I've forgiven them. Uh, no, he's saying you can look around and the people of Israel will be living holy lives. The people of Judah will be living holy lives. Why? Because I have forgiven them. Listen to how Isaiah describes it. Isaiah describes it. And again, this isn't just sort of a theoretical, epistemological, you know, righteousness here. This is when God forgives us and saves us. It changes how we live. It spurs us to holiness. I love this picture in Isaiah 27. Isaiah 27, 9. Therefore, by this, the guilt of Jacob will be atoned for. And this will be the full fruit of the removal, the taking away, the forgiveness of his sin. What's going to be the fruit of the removal of his sin? When he makes all the stones of the altars like chalk stones crushed to pieces. No ashram or incense altars will remain Standing. So he says, look, Israel's sin is going to be atoned for. It'll be forgiven. And what will be the result of that? Again, not just some theoretical result, but actually something that happens in their lives. They'll be forgiven. And so what happens? Isaiah says the fruit of that forgiveness is that they, they will crush their sinful practices until none of them are left. He doesn't say, I'll forgive them, and then in heaven, it's as if all their sinful practices have been crushed. I'll forgive them, and it'll be as if there's no sin in Israel. I'll forgive them, and it'll be as if there's no sin in Judah. He says, no, when I forgive them, they will smash their ashram. They will treat their high places, their stone altars, they will crush them like chalk beneath their feet. Why? Because I have atoned for their sin, because I have removed their sin. This is the full fruit of that forgiveness. Which is, explains why John ties forgiveness to our holiness. First John chapter 2. First John chapter 2, what does it say? My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. And by this we know that we have come to know Him, if we keep His commandments. So someone who's truly been forgiven, who has their sins propitiated, who has their sins paid for, is recognizable how? By their life. And particularly by a life of what? By a life of obedience to the word of God. Obedience to God's commandments. By a, what you could say, by a righteous life. Which is why the Bible can then describe believers as blameless. Can can use the word saints, holy ones, to describe believers and not have to put air quotes around it in the Greek every time. Uh, you know, it's not always, when Paul writes it, he's not always winking, you know. Hey, saints, you know. Which is why Paul can talk about the obedience of faith. They can say those things because those things aren't just things in theory. 
These are things that are the fruit that comes into our lives because we've been forgiven. And when we understand our forgiveness, we don't go, hey, this is what the world does. The world goes, I can be forgiven. Well, then I can sin more, right? And I'll be forgiven. That's what the world is. You talk to anybody. I mean, it happens all the time at the abortion mill. You know, standing out there, cigarette hanging out of their lips, halfway cocked, leaning against their pickup truck. God will forgive me, right? You just want to go, ah. But the, the believer doesn't do that. The believer doesn't look at their forgiveness and say, that's more reason to sin. The believer looks at their forgiveness and says, I want to be holy. The believer looks at their forgiveness and, and that for, they, don't, they don't just want to be holy. That the fruit, forgiveness causes that holiness to be born in their lives. It's not just that we look at forgiveness and go, okay, I'm going to be holy. It's that when we are forgiven, that forgiveness works holiness in us. The fruit of that forgiveness is our holification, our holiness, our, our, our righteousness. The, like, like I said, Paul says, the, the obedience of faith. So when we pray, Father, forgive us, we're actually asking God, for the very thing that will grow us in greater and greater holiness. So forgiveness, the the taking away of our unbearable, inescapable debt, it comes with amazing blessing. Our sin, our sin isn't just taken away, our debt is paid, our sin is destroyed. And we, in forgiveness, we are saved, we are made alive, we begin to know the Lord, we begin to fear the Lord, we become more holy. Those are the great blessings that the Bible says are tied to the already great grace of simply being forgiven. Let's pray. We just wanted to take, uh, if we're going to understand forgiveness, we didn't just want to define forgiveness. We wanted to understand what the, the, how the Bible goes beyond just understanding the basic definition of forgiveness to tell us all that comes with it. I mean, it, it would seem just amazing that just the, the taking away of our debt. The Bible talks about all the other things that are born in that forgiveness as well. Just the great blessing found. So when you, the reason we have to know this is because I, I want us to understand when we pray, Father, forgive us. I want us to understand what we're asking of God. And these last two weeks, I wanted us to understand what God is going to do in that. And has done in that. Not just so that you would be motivated to understand forgiveness more, although I want us to understand forgiveness more. But so you would be motivated to pray for forgiveness more and to rejoice that you have been forgiven and what that is going to mean for your life. What God is promising to work in you through the forgiveness of your sins. That the forgiveness of your sins is more than just a wiping away and saying, all right, get after it. In the forgiveness of your sins, you find the, the growth of your Christian life. Forgiveness is not just something you need to learn when you first become a Christian. Forgiveness is going to be the thing that drives you through the entirety of your Christian life to crush your sins and love the Lord. To crush your sin and fear Him. Those things are born 
from forgiveness. And so when we pray, Father, forgive us, may that be one of the most rich words we can ever imagine because we understand what God is going to do or what he has done and what he will do in us and through us through the forgiveness of our sins. So just take a moment and just ask God, say, God, just help me to see the blessing of forgiveness. Maybe it was one of those things that we look at. Maybe it's still last week and you're still being amazed at your sins being destroyed. And maybe it's this week. One or two things you're saying, Father, just, just help my mind to wrap around all that's found in the forgiveness of my sins. That when Christ was lifted up and my sins were lifted up with them, that's not just the end of the story. There's more that comes in that forgiveness that continues to ripple through our lives and will ripple through us and through this world until the whole earth is covered with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord like waters cover the same. Forgiveness is rippling through history and it's rippling through us and is affecting us. It affects our sin, yes, but it affects you and I. Saved, made alive, knowing God, fearing God, holified all through the forgiveness of your sins. Father, we come today and amazed, Father. I mean, you could have just told us about forgiveness and said, hey, be forgiven and, and done all this stuff behind the scenes and us never have known how you're going to use forgiveness and things you're going to do in forgiveness. How, as we look at Christ and see our sins forgiven, it's going to, it's going to do all these things in us. We didn't have to know any of that, but you and your grace, you, you reveal this great mystery that happens. How you use forgiveness, the taking away of our debts, the taking away of the, the, the debt of our sin to not just, not, just, not just cause that to be lifted up, but to lift us up. And to give us the life that we're meant to live, to save us and make us alive. And then as we're saved and made alive, you then cause us to know you and you cause us to fear you and you cause us to be holy. All driven from that first time we said, Father, forgive, forgive me. And as we continue to pray, Father, forgive us. That forgiveness continues to work in me and in us to your glory. So I pray, Father, today that we would stand here in a knowledge of you and in a fear of you. To think all that you're accomplishing in forgiving us. And that that would motivate us to ask for it even more. To always be a people yearning for the forgiveness of our sins. Forgive us our debts, Father. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.